Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And at 5.07, let's get right to Governor Tim Walls, who is on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Governor Walls, thanks for being on with us today. Good to be with you, Jason. Happy New Year. You were off serving lunch today at uh, a local school. And I yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the school lunch program. And our listeners know I have been advocating for universal school meals uh, since it was first proposed. I fully admit that, you know, I'm all in. I think just like we provide books and we provide whiteboards, we should provide the basics, which is a meal. To me, it's a no brainer. As someone who can afford to pay for my kid's lunch, I'm not going to lie. I sort of enjoy essentially a bit of a tax break from the state in that I don't have to pay for my high schooler's lunch. But I say that so people know I'm on board with you on this. And the cost is quite a bit more than expected because so many people are taking part. So what 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 do we say? That's a good problem, you say. Well, first of all, no, I appreciate it. And I, I think the vast majority of Minnesotans are on this. And I get it of folks saying, look, you know, it, you had some added cost onto this. We had 1.2 million more breakfasts served and about the same number of lunches served. That, that means there are 1.2 million Minnesota children that weren't eating that lunch at school. Now, now some could say, well, why are you subsidizing everybody? Well, I, I don't really think wealthy families and their kids weren't eating, and now all of a sudden they are. What I do know is there was a lot of middle-class folks like yourself, like my family, like many others, many who were close to that cutoff point that simply didn't qualify for the free and reduced lunch. I share where you're at on this that, look, we don't charge them for water out of the fountain. We don't charge them for the carpet that's in their classroom or or other things. But here's the thing. That means when we have 1.2 million more breakfast serves, we're seeing, and we'll get the data on this, attendance is up. We know that students that have a healthy breakfast start the day better able to learn and better able to regulate their behavior. So in the long run, we're going to see not just individual cost savings, which they're significant to individual families. We're going to see it across uh, the economy as we start to see behavioral issues go down. We start to see better achievement. We know that the science shows this, that they're better connected. And I think what you know, Jason, I've heard you talk about this, whatever. There's more food insecurity than many people recognize around them. And we see this time and time again in the world's wealthiest nation, in the middle of the most productive farmland. By the way, we're buying these commodities from our farmers, and then we're being able to deliver these good, healthy meals. So I think, one, it's it's ethically the right thing to do, making sure these kids have something to eat. It's fiscally sound in terms of, in the long run, we end up saving money in other costs that we would have had. And you're seeing a direct benefit to the families that are out there. And look, I know there's a lot of taxpayers. Well, they we're, don't have we're, not, we're not going to save $300 million, which is where this thing is going to cost in two years, are we? Over the lifetime of millions of children, tens of thousands of children, 
Um, if we get better outcomes in terms of their education, if we get less behavioral issues or people entering into the criminal justice system, look, you can buy school buses or you can buy prison buses. This is an investment in families. This is an investment that we've said from the child tax credit to early childhood education to these meals of making sure that we're preparing the best qualified, healthiest workforce in the world. So we invest all the time. You invest, you spend a little money to, uh, uh, get something taken care of in your health, it saves a lot in the long run if you do it on the front end rather than fix it on the back end. But look, this is an expense, like you said, we, we pay for electricity in those yeah. schools. We pay for water. We have a belief that the public school system is the most equitable way, and I think it's proven globally that America's public school system has helped create one of the strongest economies and one of the fairest systems that, that's out there. So it, uh, this is just another way is, to strengthen them. So as someone who's in favor of this, I also am – sensitive to the the concern of saying like look taxpayers are paying for something for people i'm nowhere near the cutoff for free and reduced lunch so is there an openness to say like all right maybe we make breakfast kind of a the a means tested situation since we maybe still need this data for the federal program and make lunch for everybody is there a way where where we look at that at all well, it's a fair question. And look, other states are starting to copy this now. And I just was on with the uh, Secretary of Education last week. They're looking at do they need to do things differently, how they figure out on their reimbursements, because this is a better way of doing it. When we start means testing or we start asking people to bring in information, we know there's a lot of families through no fault of the child don't have the capacity or aren't willing or don't have the skills to be able to get some of this stuff back in. And we've always created these lunchrooms where there's haves and have nots. Somebody has a certain ticket. Somebody has to go through here. I would encourage folks who are concerned about this to go to their local school, to see the interaction in those classrooms and to know when that kid's spirit, the cl- I supervised the lunchroom for 20 years. It is a time where kids can be themselves. It's a time when they're together and it's a time to not differentiate them of who has it and who doesn't. I'm telling you there's got to be a significant portion of that 1.2 million kids who are showing up simply didn't have it. I hear from parents writing me and say, look, I'm just at the cutoff, and it was hell. My kids wanted to eat at school. We couldn't afford it. I got up in the morning. I had to make breakfast. Many times it's the moms doing all this. This woman in Grand Rapids says my life is so much better right now, and I think we're seeing the benefits. Well, I, I don't think those. nobody questions that, right? No one questions that there are people right around that middle, but it's the people it it's the people like me who are nowhere near the cutoff or people, yeah. you know, who uh, I, I suppose my response to those people is that I didn't get any money back from the state with the big old surplus. This is a way I'm getting a little money back. Like, I'm not real mad about getting a little bit of a little bit of money back. Oh, you get money back. So I do see the positive of it. But I but there are the frustration. There's there's a lot more anger about this than I'll be honest than I anticipated. I'll tell you, if you're angry about kids eating and that we've got more kids eating and more kids attending school and that we're funding in public school, I'm not sure I've got an answer that's going to suffice for that. You know, if this is, I I got mine, you don't have yours or whatever. We all contribute things on this. Public schools is one of those. We also contribute to helping our seniors. We have a school, we have a meals program extended out of this. I mean, that's, that's just part of it. We we need seniors to be applying and getting the benefits. Too many of our seniors are, are so humble that they worry they're going to take it away from someone else. We need to, we need our seniors to step up and, and take the health that's out there. 
40% of our food is wasted. This program we talked about over there being very careful, um, almost none of this is wasted. They're very good. These school nutritionists and these schools are very good at targeting it. We waste about 40% of the food in this country. I, I think it's important for folks to realize um, the vast majority of the world lives on about $2 a day and that most women spend the bulk of their time trying to get fresh water. The idea that our children can go into school and learn and have a breakfast, again, purchased from our local providers. And I would say this money also uh, that's being saved in these families is being turned around and spent on the local economy. Maybe they're now able to buy a new, you know, something. Maybe they're able to take a vacation, whatever it might be. It's not as if that this is a finite set that went in and it doesn't do anything. This uh, Again, if, if you're worried about your taxpayer dollars, feeding a million more kids with healthy meals while they're in school, I think it's a pretty good investment. Governor Tim Walz is with us. I want to ask you today, the state Republican Party launched a website to save the current state flag. The chairman, David Han, writes, the DFL quest to erase our history is repugnant and should be rejected. What do you say to that? Well, I was overfeeding kids while that was happening and and working with law enforcement on some issues. So I think it tells you, um, I guess, the next front in a culture war. Look, Minnesota is a diverse state. It continues to grow. This flag was crafted in the 1890s, changed again 50 years later. And it's it's highly offensive to a large number of people. And and, and there's very little debate about that. Many of these folks, I would question whether they even knew what was on the flag, and it's very generic to others. This is a sense of pride with the North Star, us identifying ourselves, having a great new state seal that identifies with the loon, with our great outdoors, um, not from a time past where, you know, systemic issues against indigenous Minnesotans was was somehow fine. But that doesn't surprise me. Um, come help us feed kids. Uh, come help us implement um, the public safety money that we put out there. Uh, help us celebrate today that 80 one percent of Minnesotans no longer pay Social Security tax. Focus on the issues that really matter, demonizing kids and now, you know, somehow saving the Confederate battle flag. These are the arguments that happened with Jefferson Davis statues in Alabama. And we're just not going to do it, um, that this is a decision that's made. I think Minnesotans can be proud of this. And I just have to tell you, Jason, I watched this argument around the Vietnam Veteran Memorial when I was still a high schooler and we were doing a project on this. That thing was reviled when it first came out. And there was even racism around the, the creator of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Now it is the most beloved monument on the National Mall. And I, I, I will make an attest that this, I think this state seal and this uh, state flag will be well known. When you see the Colorado flag, you know it's Colorado. Um, when you see the Minnesota flag, the one current one. Um, it could be Indiana, Nebraska, whatever. This is just meant to be a source of pride. And we're, the, we're the North Star State where everybody belongs and everybody has a place. Governor Tim Walls is with us. Uh, just last month, your uh, administration came forward and said, you know, we, we uh, still have a surplus, but if things continue along the same way, we're projecting an imbalance uh, going forward. My question to you is, did the DFL trifecta, you and the legislature, spend too much money last legislative session? Uh, No, we're not. We still have a surplus and we will be structurally balanced going out. We made investments, whether again, I want to be clear when Republicans say they don't want any credit. Okay, everybody getting a Social Security Remember who that was from. Every water treatment plant. Remember where that was coming from. Um, So, no, I think the one thing that I made clear of and that you saw was 
I kept stressing that it needed to be one-time funding. Now, if we'd have done what the Republicans did, and there are many states, the report just came out on this, many states made long-term permanent um, income tax cuts to some of their top brackets, they are in a terrible position. Minnesota's not there. Most of this was one-time investments. We're going to catch back up on our roads, our bridges. Um, We're making sure things like school meals that we get going. So, no. Um, I think we're going to be in a solid spot. The vast majority of Minnesotans saw a reduction in their tax. We also said, you know what, we're going to have to pay for things. we got a lot of roads. We need to pay for those. Um, so I feel very good. We're going to have to – there's not going to be a lot of programs this year. We'll do some bonding bill. Um, the surplus itself offsets that long-term uh, structural deficit. But I think you should realize this. I fought with Republicans for years and was finally able to get it through with the Democratic Senate. That's honest budgeting. It includes inflation. If we would have been doing it the way they did it before, it would have been $900 million less. Yeah. So it would look like, yeah. oh, we're almost structurally balanced. That's unfair. That's unfair. So what your list. That's true. That's true. Like that change in adding inflation. Yeah. I mean, these are all projections. So it does change the projection for sure. Four years most don't do that. So yeah. for the next two years, the budget that we did, we're still running a surplus. But I do think it says this. I'm, I'm fiscally conservative on this. We need to be very restrained on this. We need to be very thoughtful. I am proud to say that just this week, the Tax Policy Institute came out and said Minnesota has the most equitable taxes of the 50 states. It means people are treated the fairest across the 50 states. Now, some would say, well, that's baloney. I don't want to pay income tax in Florida. Here's the thing. If you're not in those upper brackets and you're in Florida, you're paying more tax than you are in Minnesota because you're paying on clothes. You're paying higher uh, property tax rates, many of those things. So I, I think it, it's balanced. We're going to start seeing the payoff on some of these investments, too. And again, I can't stress enough that uh, the Infrastructure Act is going to make a big difference. And we're seeing being rewarded with things like the tech hub with the hydrogen cell um, Will, will be a major player in all those things. So some of the new jobs, the, new economy, the Rochester, some, yeah, yeah. I look, Mayo Clinic didn't just build in Minnesota out of nostalgia. They built because they feel like we have all the components of the ecosystem around high tech to be able to make a difference. And we're responding differently. I think one of the things that gets forgotten is we put an awful lot of money into the Department of Economic Development where they're doing things to help entice job creation. Some of these Minnesota investment fund things where we're seeing solar panel manufacturers from Canada say, yep, this is where we're going to do business. So I think what you're going to start to see is we made investments that were in there and um and targeted them. Look, if you're if you were super wealthy in this, you maybe didn't see it directly to your bank account. But probably if you're in that super wealthy, you're employing folks. You have businesses out there. You care about transportation needs. You care about broadband. All of those things um, that we're seeing that improve quality of life and improve again. I would note moving into the top five states, best state to do business because the infrastructure and the workforce is there. Governor Tim Walls is with us. Uh, Today, uh, Chris Christie just dropped out within the last hour of the presidential race. We've got Dean Phillips trying to run. Uh, You're the head of the National uh, Democratic Governors Association. I just wonder, as you look at some of the developments, what 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 are what are you seeing out there? Well, you're going to see a binary choice. You're going to see a uh, a former president who is. Told us he would be a dictator and believes that he has no 
legal responsibility and his lawyers make the case that uh, there's pretty much anything he can do. Um, someone who did not create the jobs that we've seen did not create this environment. And I said, what I'm seeing out there as we get closer to November and it becomes a choice between uh, a Biden administration that's delivered on many of these things and Democratic governors that are not focused on um, fighting on a flag issue, but are focused on feeding kids, those are going to start to resonate with people. So I think right now it still is the horse race. I, I don't think we've quite wrapped our mind around the dangerous nature of January 6th to the degree that we will by the time we get to November. And I think what you'll see is, is that um, Americans want us to solve real problems. They want us to find some compromise on things we can. And I think they're done with the distracting, you know, just nonsensical fights um, that, that don't impact their lives in a real way. And I, I think that they want their politics to be decent. I want their politics to be forward-looking. Uh, those are things that I think the Democratic governors will do. In my jobs, I got 11 races out there, um, hold some incumbent seats, and make the case that um, we're hearing it from states across the country. You elect a Democratic governor, you're going to start to see some of these investments from paid family and medical leave, meals for your kids. My my last question before we let you go is that you did get uh, a new cat, right? I did. So yeah, I lost my old one. Yeah, which I am concerned that the Humane Society has lost their mind in allowing the Walls family to adopt another animal. First, first we had the do- we had Scout locked in the closet. Then one cat runs away. Are are you equipped? Are you equipped to really be a, a, a safe animal owner, owner, Governor? I am. I am a good pet uh, partner, and so uh, <laughs> I said this one. Uh, all these rescues. My first one was about a twenty-five pounder, and uh, you had to you had to wrestle him inside. This one's a little smaller, but uh, I will give my shout out to Humane Society. Uh, fabulous folks. Uh, Honey is her name. She came with and uh, well, sure. If I if home. I had your track record of animal care, they would probably tell me to pound sand. <laughs> yeah, the dog in the the dog in the bedroom. I think we we seem to think that you know he just accidentally locked himself in there. I think he was looking for peace and quiet. But he's a smart guy. So, oh, very good. Well, Governor, I appreciate the time and your willingness to. Uh, tackle a wide range of questions and uh, always enjoy talking to you. We'll have you again. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Talk okay. to you soon. Governor Tim Walls, 525 here on News Talk 830 WCCO. React away, 651-461-9226. Your texts are welcome, and we'll share some of your thoughts next on CCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Lots of texts coming in on the CCO Talk and Text Line. If you missed our conversation with the governor, you can check it out on podcast. Charlie will get it up uh, in the next half hour or so. So you can check that out on the Odyssey app. You can use the rewind button, too. You can rewind anything here on the Odyssey app. But if you get your podcast elsewhere, this uh, interview with the governor will be up on all of those different spots. Lots of texts coming in. Uh 
Not a lot of, you know, it's a lot of non-fans. <laughs> One texter. Uh, I am 100% in favor on Universal Lounge. Another texter. Uh, give me a break. Free school breakfast. Now lazy mother doesn't have to feed her own kids. That text offends me. Because in my household, it's the lazy father. Okay? It's me. Lazy mother. Tell the governor breakfast is the parents' responsibilities, not mine. I will say, like, I get the anger on this issue. But your anger comes from a very strange and selfish place. Very strange. Because... Everything is the parent's responsibility. Then by that standard, like, why are we teaching reading at school? Why? Why? This is why, to me, universal lunch is a no brainer. The state mandates that kids under the age of 16 have to go to school. Yeah. Mandates. And so it is mandatory that your kids have to leave and go to school. Now, yes, you can homeschool. Fine. How do you take kids? Require them to go there and then say, oh, by the way, three bucks for lunch. you got to pay for it. That's just not – we wouldn't do that for any other part of school. It's such an arbitrary line. I thought that, that that point was brought up well in that you're already paying for the books and the building and the chairs and the water. Why did we make this weird line at food? Food is the not our responsibility. It doesn't – like it doesn't yeah. logically make any sense. If we are providing this service, which is a service yes. to the community, why why is was food off the table in the first place? I do think it's worth, as we analyze the cost and the benefit, to take a closer look at breakfast, as I brought up. My belief, generally speaking, is that for kids of means who are eating breakfast, they're basically stockpiling a bar to eat later in the day Mm -hmm. or they're grabbing some food like they're not. Is that as necessary as the lunch? I'm just saying I'm open to a compromise. I I get that. I'm one that just says you legislate from a 10,000 foot view, right? We're encompassing everybody here. If we're going to get into picking, somebody is going to get left out. There are going to be people that are going to that maybe should that are in a situation that is as such that they maybe should be getting this, but they're not going to. If we just legislate from that view in this respect, nobody's going to miss it. We don't charge our prisoners for lunch, someone else points out. My parents couldn't afford school lunch, so they sent. Here's the thing. If you're the kind of person who is going to sit back on what you did as a kid, that's fine, but that is not an argument for what is the right thing to do. I do think politically— School lunch? <laughs> Good luck. If the Republicans think they're going to run on that, uh, you may as well hand over the whole operation to the Democrats again. No chance to me that that's a winner at the ballot box because I think most people, even people of means, if you have kids, you're like me, where you say, you know what? Like, I don't know that I need this benefit. I don't know. But. I sure like it. I'm saving six, seven hundred bucks. Now, are there ways to look forward and say, hey, are we making sure we're using all this food? Is it nutritious? Are we supporting the local economy? No doubt. Absolutely. But the idea of feeding kids at school, 
If that's your wedge issue, good luck. Good luck. 533, let's do weather and traffic. Appreciate all the feedback. Thank you guys for communicating. Uh, Well, thank you most for communicating here on Drive Time. It is January 10th, and because of our conversation with the governor, we delayed the D-Rush Hour news headlines to this half hour. We start with deep fakes of celebrities. No, that is not Taylor Swift. Well, that's Taylor Swift. But it's not Taylor Swift trying to sell you Le Creuset cookware. New York Times with the story, Taylor loves that cookware. But there have been ads on Facebook all over the place with her face and her voice. It's part of a bunch of celebrity-focused scams made more convincing because of artificial intelligence. One week in October, Tom Hanks, Gail King, Mr. Beast all said that AI versions of themselves have been used for iPhone giveaways, deceptive dental plan promotions. In the Taylor Swift case, artificial intelligence helped create a synthetic version of her voice. So they put... Other clips. This is scary stuff. I mean, obviously, they'll do it with celebrities. But they can do it with you or me, making us seem whatever. I mean, politicians is the scariest, oh, right? That's, that's you gotta du- It's The reason I bring it up is because we got to double, triple check anything as we get into this presidential campaign. Can a big village of tiny homes make an impact in homelessness? We've been talking about the homeless situation here in the Twin Cities. In Denver, they bought a hotel. The city did. Near Austin, Texas, a more permanent solution. I don't know if this could work in the Twin Cities because of the weather here, but it's pretty fascinating. They've got something called Community First Village. New York Times with this story. 400 residents moving into 200 square foot, one room houses. There's a kitchenette, a bed, and a recliner. And then there's like central bathrooms, central showers, communal areas for gathering. In the next few years, Community First will have 2,000 homes across three locations. This is the nation's largest project of its time. Could permanently, that's the difference, is permanent housing for about half of Austin's chronically homeless population. Big issue down there. The weather is certainly attractive. A lot of wealth in Austin, so ability to be outside and try to cobbled together with hand uh, panhandling and such. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. It is an interesting model. Hopefully it works. Everybody who lives there, they do pay rent. Uh, and many residents have jobs in the village. So you live there, you pay rent, but you work as gardeners, landscapers, custodians, jewelry makers, etc. Very interesting stuff. Is there a return to snow days? Snow days for Minneapolis schools. Oh, the snow's coming. A lot of us loved those snow days when we were younger as a chance for a break, a chance to enjoy the winter. Star Tribune reporting on some of the changes the school board is looking at. Elementary schools under a new proposal will get three snow days before e-learning days kick in. Middle school, high school, kids will get two snow days. Kind of running counter the trend of what we're seeing in other Minnesota districts, but parents... uh. Parents have hated the e-learning days. So the board is saying, well, 
we need to make our regular school days longer. So they're adding like 10 minutes to every day. So the school year would end on June 6th instead of June 11th. Minneapolis goes a little longer than most surrounding districts, which can kind of be a pain if you're trying to get a summer job. Um, but as part of that, they might bring back the snow day. Now, will we have enough snow to have a snow day? That's a different question. Uh, Costco is coming to the northwest suburbs. Is coming to the northwest suburbs. <laughs> Costco trying to trying to appeal to the younger demographic in that Saturday Saturday Night Live trip. Uh, skit. Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal reporting that Costco wants to build a store on the edge of Albertville and Otsego. The closest for our friends in Albertville and Otsego is Maple Grove. Uh, the application submitted Monday. Wright County is going to add a couple roundabouts to mitigate traffic. Um, but pretty interesting. A new cost. Good for you. Otsego and Albertville. Costco's great. If you don't know an Otsego yet, if you haven't been to one. Highly recommend going on a weekday oh, yeah. or weeknight. That's the one downfall. Weekend, it takes a different type of fortitude to get through a Costco. Yes. Not, and anyone who. Even weekdays can be crazy. If you've survived the Costco in St. Louis Park, I. It's congratulations. My, my goodness. Uh, 546, that's the D-Rush Hour News headlines here on CCO. We'll do weather, traffic. Hey, the Twins Hot Stove Show is on at 6 o'clock tonight, so stick around for that. But we're not done here on Drive Time with Russia. Standard heating and air conditioning came to my house today. It's pretty funny when the technician, I had Nathan. This guy's awesome. He's been with Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for more than a decade. He is hilarious and sarcastic and brilliant when it comes to HVAC. So he's going through, and he comes to my house because I'm part of Standard Smart Club. So you pay the membership, and then it includes the AC check in the summer, the furnace tune-up in the winter. You get discount on stuff that you need along the way. To me, it gives me peace of mind. It's extending the life of my equipment. It also gives an excuse to have the Standard guy come into my house, which is always good. He checked for carbon monoxide, make sure everything is going well, vacuumed it out, all good stuff. And also important, standard heating and air conditioning, that relentless focus on the customer, that is why this month they're celebrating 94 years in business. Family owned by the Ferreira family, three generations, started in a Minneapolis basement in 1930. And to celebrate, they're giving you $1,930 off a new furnace and boiler or AC, 1930, Grandpa Tony, found in this business. Who would have thought of the thousands, tens of thousands of people they've provided comfort for? You can visit them anytime at standardheating.com. Besides a presidential candidate or a politician, who do you wish we could just be done with and not have to hear about it anymore? Six five one four six one nine two two six. Who are you done with? For me, uh, there are two. Both are in the news today. One person that I'm done with, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, we're good. 
hey, Raj, you're a great football player, uh, a pretty good podcast guest for Pat McAfee. You're entertaining, ridiculous, and at the end, reckless and offensive by implying that Jimmy Kimmel, this whatever, Aaron Rodgers, how he wants to try to spin it, he certainly implied, even if he was joking, that Jimmy Kimmel would have been on the Epstein list. There's this thing when somebody is at the top of their field sometimes where they think that must mean I'm really good at other things too, like thinking. And uh, Aaron Rodgers seems to believe that very, very fully. Today, Pat McAfee announced Aaron Rodgers' appearances are over for the rest of the NFL season. Uh, probably over for good. You'd think. What's different is Aaron Rodgers was being paid as a guest. So if he were just A-Rodg popping on, saying whatever he wants, from a ESPN or a company standpoint, whatever. But when you're paid as a contributor, it's a little different. Paid a lot to millions is the report that I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting as everybody and their brother has a podcast. There are there's a group of people that part of the reason they got famous is that they're not professional. They're, you know, real people just asking, saying what they're thinking. Just Joe asking Rogan. questions. Hey, just, just asking. asking. Which is good. It's part of the appeal. But then when you get an audience, there's I think there's some obligation that comes along with it to maybe go a couple steps beyond. Hey, just ask. You think. Well, certainly yeah, once you take the ESPN money, you also have to take some of the ESPN standards. And Pat McAfee says, goodbye, Aaron Rodgers. The other person I would like to say goodbye to is Garrison Keeler. Why can we not quit these old guys who were accused of being sort of icky and creepy? We, there are two of them, Al Franken and Garrison Keeler. Both got sort of swept up at the same time. Is it fair? Is it not? Who cares? There are new generations out there with new approaches to storytelling and to politics and comedy and entertainment. And we don't need to hang on to these same people. I mean, you know why. It's one of us. It's, it's the one of us. It's the Minnesota one of us. And he is one of us. And he went to elsewhere and he said, I like Minnesota. And that means till the day he dies, he is going to be beloved. He will be staging Prairie Home at its old St. Paul home for its 50th anniversary in July. I mean, people get to choose, I guess, but I'm done. I'm done with him. Let him go. A lot of Taylor Swift on the text line. That ain't going to happen. Mine was Elon Musk. Oh. That seemed like an easy one. Yeah. Man, I th- I liked Elon so much. Yeah, me too. And then, here we go. Hot Stove Show coming up. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 